Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Welcome to the Vineyard. Everybody good this morning? Yeah, I just want to introduce this side of the room to this side of the room. Why don't you guys go ahead and wave at one another? We do this every year. Yeah. There's a really good chance that you're going to see people you had no idea you came to church with. Yeah. All right. Hey, this is what we're doing today and for the next month. Uh, we're continuing our series on spiritual formation here at the Vineyard. And if you haven't been here or if you've been sort of intermittent, just want to let you know what spiritual formation is. Spiritual formation is essentially taking up particular practices that help make us more like Jesus. What are the things that we can actively do or actively participate in that help us make, help us become people who are more like Jesus? Uh, one of the things we've sort of been going over and over on for the last few months is just this idea that uh, no one accidentally becomes like Jesus. Like, you don't fall down the stairs and become more like Jesus. You don't go to bed and become more like Jesus. Uh, you have to sort of actively participate in the work of the Spirit in your life. And the church has just sort of figured out over several thousand years that there are some things we can do which make us vulnerable to the work of God in our life. Uh, the practices don't change you. They just hold space where the Spirit can change you. It's the Spirit who conforms us to the likeness of Jesus. And so we're just asking, what is that? What are the things we could do to be maybe a little more like Jesus? And we've divided it up into three different ways of looking at it. In November, we talked about inner practices or the inner journey. And then in January, we talked about outward practices or an outward journey. And then this month, we're going to be looking at the communal journey. And it's one of the reasons we're in a circle. The communal journey. It's this idea that um, you are not a solo participant in your discipleship to Jesus. Uh, that no one can become like Jesus on their own. That's one of the things we're going to keep digging up over and over again this month. Uh, you can't just make an individual idea or an individual declaration or an individual decision to become like Jesus. Chances are you're going to need somebody else to help you along the way. And kind of what I'm hoping that we can understand is you guys are probably going to need somebody over here to help you become more like Jesus. And the same is true for everybody over here. Like nobody gets to make it on their own. All right, how are we going to break this month down? Here's how we're going to break it down. These are the things we're going to dig up over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about confession. Then we're going to talk about celebration. Then we're going to talk about guidance. Everybody needs to be here for that one. Then we're going to talk about worship. These are the communal practices that help us become more like Jesus. And uh, here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about confession. I want to talk to you about confession. I know everybody in the room just got a little freaked out, didn't you? You were like, here's what I want you to know. Uh, at the end of this message... I'm not going to make you turn to your neighbor and tell them the worst thing you ever did, okay? We're not going to do that, so can we just let that anxiety go? Let's just, and here's how I let anxiety go. I do this. It might help you. Try it. Sometimes I've found that things just get locked in my body. Got to let it go, all right? 
So at the end of this message, you do not have to turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them the worst thing you ever did. However, I will tell you this. At the end of this message, I am going to invite anyone here who needs to confess, who needs to share who they really are and what they're into, I'm going to invite you to come forward. We're going to have a ministry team. I'm going to be up here, and we'll listen to whatever it is. It could be little, it could be medium, or it could be massive. And here's what I'm going to tell you. In that moment, you'll receive zero judgment, right? We're only going to pray together. So nobody has to do anything, but everybody is invited. And that's a really big deal. Because in the kingdom of heaven, it is not run on coercion. Like Jesus does not run his kingdom by coercion. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but every other leader in the world, every other president, every other prime minister, every other dictator, every other king runs their kingdom, runs their government, runs their country by coercion. You're going to do this, and if you don't, we got you, right? Like you're going to pay your taxes, and if you don't, we're going to put you in jail. There's a certain amount of coercion that is involved. But in Jesus' kingdom, there is no coercion. There's only invitation. So here at the Vineyard, we're never going to make people do anything, but we're going to be like Jesus, and we're going to invite. We're going to invite. We're going to welcome people into the life of God. And here's the other thing I want to say as we're pointing towards the end of this message. I just want to say, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff here this morning, and at the end, I'm going to give an invitation. I'm going to give three invitations to the room. And if your life, if your life is better or safer than the offer that I'm going to make this morning, you're welcome to keep it, Okay. Keep it the way it is. However, if there's something in what I'm offering this morning as it relates to Jesus and his goodness and his kingdom, which is better than what you have, I would encourage you to give up everything you have and lay hold of everything he has because it is available to you and it, doesn't, and it's, and it will not be withheld from you. Okay, But again, if what you have is better, hey, keep it. It's all good. Okay, um, Here's what I want to do. This morning, before we get to the scriptures, I want to really quickly talk to three groups of people that I know are here, because they're the three groups of people who are always here. I want to take just a moment, and I want to talk to people who uh, do not know Jesus or do not follow Jesus. I want to talk to people also who are maybe new believers. Maybe, maybe you just started following Jesus in the last year or two, and you just got baptized recently, maybe even here at the vineyard. Maybe I dunked you this year, you know? I want to talk to you. And then I want to talk to people who've maybe been following Jesus for a really long time, okay? I'm going to take like three minutes here and just hit this real quick. Okay, Uh, if you do not follow Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, and you don't even know why you're here, I just want to tell you everything I'm about to say, it doesn't really apply to you, okay? So you can either check in or check out, uh, but I will tell you this, there's some, tremendous, there's some tremendous good news in what I'm about to share this morning, and if you would like it to apply to you, it can't, okay? So if you want to check out, if you don't follow Jesus and you want to check out, it's fine. Check out. If you want to check in, come on, you're invited. Second thing I want to do, if you are somebody who's sort of a new believer here this morning, uh, the things I'm going to share with you, well, these are the normal patterns of Christianity, These are the normal practices of being a disciple of Jesus, and these are the normative ways of living in God's kingdom, okay? And it's really important, if we can, to get them on board into our life with some sort of rhythm right at the beginning, because if you learn it at the beginning, it will be a rhythm, it'll be a pattern, it'll be a practice that will serve you your entire life. Let me frame it a little different. Um, how many of you in this room have ever learned a language besides English? 
Anybody here ever learned a language besides English? Yeah, some of us have. Uh, how many of you have ever learned how to play a musical instrument? Yeah, something like that. How many of you have ever? Uh, how many of you have ever? How many of you have ever gone to a college class and realized, oh my goodness, I'm in over my head, but you stayed. Yeah, you know, you, but you stayed. It's like hands went down. It's like, drop. You know. Here's what, I'm, here's what I want to say about the practices that I'm going to talk about, and especially even just the normative practice of confession this morning. Here's what I want to say. I want to say that all the spiritual disciplines, and I want to say that all the spiritual practices, and especially things like confession, generosity, repentance, whatever you want to say there, those kinds of things, I want to say that on the front end, it's a lot like learning a new language or learning how to play guitar. And by that, I mean, on the front end, it's a real challenge. Like, it's, it, it challenges everything in you. I remember many years ago when I first learned how to play guitar. Um, I'm naturally left-handed at most things, but I wanted to learn how to play guitar right-handed because I didn't want to be that dude who was hanging out with his buddies and could never play a guitar or had to flip it up. You know what I mean? So I wanted to learn how to play it right-handed. And so when I started playing guitar, it wasn't just hard for me, it felt impossible. Like my hands didn't want to move. I was, I was fighting neurological pathways that I'd built for many, many years. I was, I was literally fighting my own biology, trying to bring myself into some sort of alignment with playing that instrument. And it, 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 it was hard, not for a little while, it was hard for a long time. But I don't know how it happened, other than I just kept with it. But because I kept with it, I got to this point at a certain moment in playing guitar when I wasn't thinking about it anymore and the instrument felt like it was a part of me. And I'm not trying to tell you that I'm an amazing guitar player, but I'm saying that within the confines of whatever basic guitar playing is, it became second nature to me and I no longer think about it, right? Uh, the way the instrument feels in my hands, I no longer think about it. Music theory, I no longer think about it. It was really hard up front and then it became a normal way of life. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm saying. Con confession, if you're a new believer, get this in your life now. Why? Because it could be like playing a musical instrument. A little hard right now, it could serve your life, give you tremendous rhythm, and you won't, you won't even think about it. Okay. Now, for people who've been a follower of Jesus for a really long time, here's what I want to say to you. Um, John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement many years ago, he had a saying, and he would oftentimes... Um, say this. He would say something to the effect of, listen church, uh, the way in is the way on. The way in is the way on. And, and here's what he meant by that little phrase or that little maxim, the way in is the way on. He meant that uh, if you want to go deeper, uh, you go deeper by not looking for some new thing, but by staying committed to the thing that got you in. Does that make sense? You know, and so John Wimber was oftentimes talking to people kind of like us, or he was oftentimes talking to people who were in this tremendous swirl that is the renewal of the Spirit. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the birth of the Vineyard Movement was tremendous. It literally changed the church in America, and and the ministry that John Wimber carried was transformative. And the Holy Spirit did crazy things, and there was just such a sense of God's Spirit. And so John would look to people who had had this amazing formational experience in the Spirit. And oftentimes those people were always, 
also people who were looking for the next new thing, right? And so they've, they've experienced this new thing or whatever, and then they're looking for the next new thing. And John would tell them rather coarsely, quit looking for the next new thing. The way in is the way on. Like, how did you get into God's kingdom? Well, you got in by repenting and by, and by learning generosity and by caring for the poor and looking to the needs of the less fortunate and welcoming the stranger. That's how you keep going. Like, the deeper thing is a bigger commitment to that, not some new esoteric thing that may be more entertaining but might actually be keeping you from the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? And so if you've been a Christian for a while, I just want you to know, uh, repentance, confession, generosity, these are not things for new believers, and this is not how you get in. This is the normative experience and pattern of spirituality for everyone who names the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Why don't you go ahead and have a drink of your beverage? Because I'm going to have mine. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take up the scriptures. I'm going to read two passages to you this morning. They're both pretty short. And they're amazing. The first one's out of 1 John. I was just going to read the tiny little bit, and then I was like, ah, I can't do it. It's too good. I'm going to read the whole first chapter. But that's cool because it's only 10 verses. But here's what I want you to do. While I read, I want you to actually look at the screen. we got three here. Look at the screen, and here's what I want you to pay attention to very closely. Pronouns. Does everybody here know what a pronoun is? If you don't, if you don't, you'll know here in a moment. I'm not an English teacher. But look at the pronouns, okay? John says to the beloved community, he says this, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing you these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus. And so we now declare it to you. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not, we're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. That's weird. Listen, if you, if you live in the light, we actually have better fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Key verse is coming here. If we proclaim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. That's our first passage this morning. Second passage comes out of the letter of James. Go ahead and look at it. This is what James says to the people of God, to the church. He says, hey, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. 
Any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be totally forgiven. Then verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. All right, those are our passages this morning. These are the two sort of like clearest teachings or New Testament descriptions of confession. And so we just wanted to bring them to the surface this morning. And before I comment on them, I just want to give you sort of a rough outline of what I'm going to share this morning. I'm going to share four things with you. I'm going to try to be brief. I want to talk to you this morning out of those two passages about community. I want to talk to you about denial. I want to talk to you about promises. And then finally, I want to land on this idea. God is greater than your feelings. So if you're taking notes, you can take notes. If you want to snap a picture, go ahead. First thing I want to talk to you about is community. And, and the reason I want to talk to you about community is because, well, it's the reason that I was asking you to pay very close attention to the pronouns that were being used in both passages. Did you notice that all of the pronouns in both passages this morning, almost all of them were plural and communal? Did you notice that? What were the, what were the pronouns? We? What else? Our? And then even when John was telling the beloved community you, how many of you know it wasn't the singular you, but it was like the royal everybody you, right? Why am I bringing that up? I'm bringing that up because in both the John passage and the James passage, James says, hey, any of you happy? And it's not just one person, right? It's the, it's the all of us, right? Any of you sick? Well, this is what you got to do. The reason I'm bringing it up is because both passages sort of center or land on this note of confession, but the container or the context for the thing that both apostles were trying to teach the church was was the idea of community. And so there's this idea that certain spiritual practices, well, they don't exist on their own, and they're not individual affairs. They're actually things that we have to pick up together. And in fact, I would say all the spiritual practices and all the spiritual life of the church is best approached with other people. Well, the reason I wanted to highlight this is because it runs so counter to most of our modern American reflexes. Pretty much everybody here this morning is a Westerner. Pretty much everybody here is an American. We've got a few exceptions in the room this morning, and high five to everybody who's not. But most of us here this morning kind of grew up the same way. We're modern Western Americans, and here's what that means, because these are the cultural waters we swim in. It means that we have very little... We have very little understanding of the communal because our country has so valued the individual, right? Like in the modern West, it's not an idea of we or our, it's the idea of I and mine, always. And one of the things that we do, and maybe you don't even know that we do this, and in fact, I would argue that we don't know this, um, even when we come to the scriptures, even when we read a passage like 1 John chapter 1, we're always bringing my, me, I, 
mind into that passage. And unless you do the hard work of reading that passage in its cultural context, you'll miss the gravity of what it's trying to say. You know, we have programs running inside of us all the time. What are some of the programs? Well, in America, we have, uh, we have this program running in us. Uh, it's the mythology of the self-made man. Anybody here ever heard somebody talk about uh, somebody being a self-made man or a self-made woman? You know, anybody ever heard that? Yeah, and I use the word mythology for a reason because in America, that idea is mythological. It's connected to this I would call greater religious narrative, you know? And there are gods that are connected to this mythology. You better believe it. But I also want you to know that the kingdom of heaven runs counter to it. And I also want you to know this. The idea that there was ever someone who was self-made is a joke. It's an absolute joke. I mean, for starters, you're here because two people did something. Like at a really found it's okay to laugh at church. It's fine. It's okay, guys. It was a sex joke. You can laugh. But you're here. You're here because two people did something. So at a foundational level, it's just not true. And if you dig beneath the surface of anyone who's ever really done something, even if they overcame tremendous hardship, what you'll find is somebody helped that person. Somebody helped that person. There was a community. There were some other people. There were other factors. Nobody is a self-made man or woman. And this is... Uh, so essential that we wake up to this because if we don't, what we'll do is we'll just read the text with our modern American eyes. And even if we become convinced that God is asking for us to be honest about who we are, we'll do it in a way that divorces ourselves from the context, which is other people, and we'll lose the power. And here's the thing. The reason community is so important, especially when it comes to things like confession or any spiritual practice, the reason it's so important is because Nobody can heal themselves. Nobody can heal themselves. Paul says some crazy things in the Bible. Uh, he says uh, a couple things. He says, number one, uh, that everybody who's a follower of Jesus is a part of the body of Christ. And he says this at least three times in the New Testament. And the little metaphor that he works off of is, is that everybody here is a piece of Jesus' body. Like, you know... Like Nathan is a finger, and, and, and maybe John's a toe, and, and Kendall's the appendix. I don't know, right? Like, but everybody here is something, and everybody has a part to play. And Paul runs on this riff oftentimes, and part of the riff is, is, is kind of this idea. Uh, everybody's something, but nobody is everything, right? That's kind of a bit of the idea. But then beyond that, Paul doubles down on this idea, and he says, well, listen, church, this is the way it works. If one part of the body suffers, everybody suffers. And if one part of the body celebrates, it's good news for everybody. Y'all remember that part? Yeah. And, and isn't that true? Have you experienced some of that in your life? Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea that Paul is getting to here is that the body of Christ is connected. And even if you don't know that it's connected, it is connected. Even if you don't feel connected, it's connected. What does that mean? Well, it means a couple things. Number one, at least in the, uh, the realm of what we're talking about this morning, it means that nobody sins alone. Like, even if you're sinning alone in your thoughts, you're still connected to other people. Like, nobody sins alone. The other thing it means is this. Nobody suffers alone. Uh, the other thing that it means, and this is really important, uh, nobody gets healed alone. 
Nobody can heal themselves. We got probably 150 people in the room right now this morning. We probably had 200 in the room first service. That's enough people that I know that there's some stuff in here. And when I say I know there's some stuff in here, it's not because I'm going to expose anybody's secrets. It's just I know, you know, you get three or 400 people together, there's issues, you know? Not a few either, like probably a lot. And here's what I need everybody in the room this morning to know, especially if your issues are on the surface and you're aware of them. By the way, if your issues are on the surface and you're aware of them, that's a gift. That's like 90% of the work. But if you have issues this morning, what I really want you to hear, first things first, is I want you to know this. You can't heal them alone. And not only that, the chances of you being able to just go into your prayer closet and pray to Jesus alone and get healing is almost 0%. Yeah. Healing comes in the context of community. We, us, our. These are healing words. Not only that, but we see this um, even in really regular spaces. How many of you have ever heard about or maybe even been to like an AA meeting? Isn't that amazing? Like there's a lot of stuff that's on display in, in the recovery world. Uh, what happens when you go to an AA meeting? Anybody know? You show up, you sit down, right? And most of the time, or at least a lot of times, uh, it's arranged in a circle. You got to see somebody. Crap, right? And then what's the first thing that happens when it becomes your turn to talk? Say your name. Dang it, I got to own who I am. That's part of the genius there, right? It's like you're owning who you really are. Like, I'm Adam. Everybody says, hello, Adam. And then you say, I'm an alcoholic, right? And so confession is the thing that happens first, and it's happening in this context of other people. And the reason that those communities operate that way is because they instinctively know that no one gets healed alone. Nobody. Nobody gets healed alone. And we think, uh, we think uh, this applies only to like addictions, you know? And you know what? Here's the deal. There's probably some people here this morning who are like addicted to pills or alcohol or all kinds of stuff. And you're thinking, okay, man, I got to get my life right. Probably ought to tell someone. Right, here's the other thing I want to say. Uh, you can't even get free from criticism, anger, and being a jerk alone. Okay? It'll have to come the same way. Those same processes are at work. Community. The work of healing. The practice of confession. It's communal. That leads me to denial. I think this is the one reason that confession is so powerful. Confession is actually powerful. But here's what I want you to know about confession. It's not magic. Uh, when you confess to God or to other people, uh, you're not doing Christian voodoo. Uh, you're not arranging the words just right. You know, It's not magic. Uh, it's not a formula. In fact, in God's kingdom, there's almost never a formula. It's not about praying the right words or rejecting an idea or saying something out loud so you don't get sick. It's not about that at all. In fact, the power of, of confession is, is mostly this. It is that you're owning your life, maybe for the first time, and you're telling the truth. The power of confession is that it baptizes that individual into a community where they're telling 
the truth. How many of you understand that God cannot heal your fake life? In fact, God's not even at work in your fake life, which means that God is almost completely not at work in Instagram, you know? Like, none of what's happening in Instagram is a space for God's healing action in our life because it's almost all fake. And one of the things we have to realize is that the reason the confession is so powerful is because it's just stripping away every bit of denial out of our life, every false facade, everything that we want to do to make ourselves look good, important, spiritual, or awesome to other people. It takes that away, and it exposes who we are all the way down to the nerve, whatever that reality is. And in that space, however uncomfortable that is, that's the place that God is at work. This is the reason that... Confession is so powerful, and this is also the reason that denial is so powerful. Denial will always be the thing that stands in front of us going in this direction. Now, some of you might be thinking, this message is kind of a bummer. Good news, we'll move on to promises. In fact, at some point, maybe today or tomorrow or sometime this week, you should reread the two passages that we put up this morning because each passage has a tremendous promise connected to it. Tremendous promise. Uh, The passages are very similar, but then they're kind of different. And the similarities and the differences are really important, so I'm just going to give them to you real quick. In 1 John, John says to the beloved community, hey, listen, if you will confess your sins to God, he'll do two things. These are the promises. Uh, He'll completely forgive you, And he'll cleanse you. Complete forgiveness and cleansing. Uh, What is cleansing, by the way? Uh, Cleansing is you get washed from the after effects, like the residue of sin. Like you don't even have to feel like a sinner. This is how good God is. Like I I got kind of wrecked this week thinking about this. Like if you are the kind of person who can expose your actual and real life to God, not only will he not beat you up for it, He will forgive you, and he'll forgive you totally. And then he'll come behind that, and he will will wash the stain of sin off of your life, and you do not have to live with a sin residue on you at all. Like, at all. You don't have to feel like a sinner. You don't have to carry guilt around. You don't have to to pre-apologize to people for the way that you used to be. You don't have to do any of that stuff because God completely takes it away. And in the Old Testament, it says uh, that he removes it from his people as far as the east is from the west. Like he just completely forgets about it. He like throws it away, you know? It's amazing. How many of you would like to have not only forgiveness from God, but you would like to have like the stain and the residue removed from you, you know? Like that's, that's really good. And by the way, uh, this is such good news. As I was thinking about it this week, it's such good news that, that uh, when you think about it a little bit, the promise is so good that the price of confession is really small. You know, if, if we feel like confession is a big deal, it's only because we haven't realized what the magnitude of the promise is yet. Okay, that's what John says. Confess your sins to God. He'll do two things for you. He'll forgive you and he'll wash the stain off of you, cleanse you. James says something kind of different, similar but different. James says, if you'll confess your sins to each other, you get healed. You get healed. And that's the one that's kind of a bummer. You know, because in our American 
individualistic, self-made man, self-made woman ideologies that we just always swim around in. You know, if it was just 1 John, we'd be like, well, you know what? I've been kind of bad. I'm going to confess my sins to God, and I'm going to get forgiven and cleansed, and that'll be it. And then, wouldn't you know it, wouldn't you know it, the book of James gets inserted, and James is like, no, you know, in fact, you've got to actually talk to each other because that's where the healing is. So do we confess to God or do we confess to each other? Yes, yes. And is the healing, is the healing that James is talking about, is it just like in our bodies or is it something more? I would say yes. Like the passage in James, he's definitely talking about sick bodies. But how many of you know that if you have an issue with addiction, the healing you need is not just from the effects of whatever that addiction has done to your body, but it's also like the neurological and the spiritual effects that led you to be an addicted person. You need healing from that. And unless that gets addressed, there'll be no real healing. Does that make sense? But what is the price of admission? It's to confess to God and to one another. But the promises, oh my goodness, the promises are so wonderful. Okay, promises. Okay, finally, God over feelings. I want to read you one more scripture from 1 John. And wow, this is a humdinger. I don't think I've ever said humdinger in a sermon. It's like 1955. You know, <laughs> I love this scripture. John says this to the beloved community. He says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Like, write that on your bathroom mirror. Like, this is tremendous. I just have to unpack for you a moment what this really means, okay? Like, in the room right now, we've been talking about confession. We've been talking about getting real, letting go of denial. We've talked about addiction. We've talked about all kinds of things. And I promise you it's in this room, okay? I promise you. It's here. And here's why. Because we're all lying to each other. And everybody who's at first service was lying to each other too. And you know what? We're probably not going to be able to get rid of that overnight. We just have to, that's our first confession. Everybody here is lying to everybody else who's here. At a certain level, that's just the truth. And because we've been talking about this, and because I've been maybe putting my finger on some things that are somewhat uncomfortable, especially the things that we love to build denial walls in front of, some of us in here have blood pressure that's beginning to increase. You know, we're getting tense. And you're like, wow, Adam's getting close to the end of the message. He's going to invite people to confess. And you're like, I need to go like check my phone or pee. Or, you, you know, it's like, this would be a good time to like, I need to go check on my kids. I'm not avoiding the message. I'm checking on my kids. I'm a good father. We just build like denial mechanisms in, Right. Yeah, anybody need to leave? It's, we, you can do it guilt-free right now. Okay, but here's what I know. I know that all kinds of stuff is getting stirred up. And some of us, some of us have an issue. Some of us have a really big issue in our life and we haven't told anybody. And, and I'm, not even like, I'm not even pointing at you. And you feel it and you feel guilty. Like you feel all the feelings. You feel like guilty. You feel bad. You feel small. You feel powerless. You feel... Uh, you feel like the kind of person who can't change. Like you try to change and you just can't. 
This is very interesting. <laughs> no, seriously, this is very interesting. First service, at the exact same moment, a kid went in here and took a lap. You know why? And, and listen, I don't hyper-spiritualize things. The reason this kind of stuff is happening is because there is a, uh, there's a force in the world that doesn't want you to get real, okay? And would rather you laugh about a kid rather than uh, like, let the stuff that's in your life bubble up to the surface. Like, this is, this is real. So you're feeling all kinds of stuff, and you're like, I don't feel powerful. Or like even the, the process of confession feels like this impossibility or whatever. Here's some good news. Uh, God is greater than all of those feelings. And what really makes it powerful is the last clause, that he knows everything. Like, he knows the stuff about you that you don't even know about you, right? He knows everything. And here's what's really, really wonderful. And this is the actual good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that the person who knows you most is the person who loves you most. You know, that's the good news. The person who's seen all of your crap, the person who's seen all your bad attitudes, the person who knows all of our like garbage, the person who knows all the ways that we've been unfaithful, the person who knows the depths of our addictions and all the ways that we've lied, cheated, and stolen, the person who knows all of that is the very person who loves you the best. He's greater than your feelings. You can trust him. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not like, it's not like, it's not just simply, you know, a little psychotherapy session where we all sit in a circle and try to tell each other the truth. The good news of the gospel is that in addition to all of that, we could live our actual real lives and we'll never be rejected for it. Never. Jack Deere said something here many years ago. And it's very true. Um, Jack came to our church many years ago and he said, uh, anything you can't talk about owns you. I just want to re-inject that back into the system this morning. Like anything that you can't talk about, it owns you. You know? What is Christian confession? Christian confession is getting free of everything that owns you. It does not have to own you, you know? Uh, God will not only forgive you, but he'll cleanse you. He will, he will take even the stain away from it. And I just want you to know there are people here, like in this room, people at first service, that you could say anything to and they would not think less of you. This is what it means to be a part of the beloved community. So here's what I want to do. I want to do three things this morning to wrap it. Three things. I want to make three very simple invitations this morning. First invitation is this. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, if, uh, if you've never followed Jesus and you know you need to, man, this would be a great time to do it. Like, let's just own it today, you know? And I'm talking about something more than getting saved. I'm talking about following Jesus, like to live like Jesus lived in this world. You know, if you've never made that decision, I, I would love to invite you to come do that. Second thing I would like to invite the whole room to this morning is, if you know there's something in your life that is in the dark, that is not in the light, that is not in the truth. If you know there's something underneath, and it could be small, it could be medium, or it could be really big. It could be a Komodo dragon. If you have a Komodo dragon of an issue in your life, poison saliva. Those things have poison saliva. If you have that in your life, I would like to invite you to come to me or to come to the ministry teams who are going to be here this morning and, and to tell it, and, and to get some prayer and to be free. Begin the journey of walking in freedom. And here's what I can promise you if you do confess anything this morning. There's going to be zero judgment. 
Like, this is a judgment-free zone, you know? I can't judge you. I've done all the stuff. I've done all, click them all. All the stuff. It applies to me, you know? And the third thing I would like to invite this room to this morning is, is just this. If none of this applies to you, and you just need prayer because you're sick or you're in a hard spot, we want you to come forward and get some prayer too. And you might be thinking, well, I can't do that. They'll think I don't know Jesus or I'm a sinner. <laughs> it's like too late. You, we already knew that, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like filter. Filter sometimes works. Okay, here's what I want to do this morning. Those are the invitations. If, uh, if the ministry team could come up like right over here, maybe somewhere, and if everybody else could stand up, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and then I'm just going to invite people to respond to Jesus. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.